Here's my question: Do you pray the Psalms? Do you read the Psalms, or do you sing the Psalms? That's a good question, and we're going to talk about that today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice, and this is Bible Discovery TV. In about five minutes, we'll be teaching from Psalm chapter seven. It is really good, and we're talking about the persecuted church. How how does that fit into everything? Well, that's what we're going to talk about in a minute. Right now, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey. I'm taking a look at Psalm chapter three, which represents one of the lowest points in King David's life. Ryan, well, today I'm very pleased to be sitting down with my good friend Calvin Smith, who's been on this program many times before, and today he's here to talk about dinosaurs and the Bible. Dinosaurs and the Bible—that's going to be very good coming up in about 20 minutes, both of you. That'll be excellent. Janice is coming up in 25. Janice, it's Friday. That means we have a fun-filled Friday question from Job 20 all the way through to Psalm 8. Let's get ready. Psalm 7, one through eight. O Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me. And deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth, and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger; lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the peoples shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. Psalm, chapter seven, verses one through eight. Psalms chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, six, seven, and eight. Now it seems like that's a lot of chapters, but the Psalms. Are short chapters, and it's really good as we go through the Bible and reread these. It's very, very exciting. Now, the persecution of Christians has been on the rise, and this year it is higher than it has been at least for the last thirty years, according to statistics from Open Doors Ministries and others. Nigeria is where most Christians have died in the past ten years for simply professing their love for Jesus Christ. And their worship of him, the world can be a nasty place to live in as a Christian, because when you make that profession, that profession of faith in Jesus Christ, it means that you are against sin and the spiritual forces of darkness, choosing to follow and be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, many people in this world are dominated by spirits that hate God. And everything to do with him, and so foster disdain for those being conformed to his image, like I am. 
Now, the book of Psalms is an amazing collector of songs that prayers in the songs are intended to teach its readers how to pray and what to pray for. Psalm 7 is just one example of a song that details the intricacies of laying the heavy burden of constant persecution down and resting in Jesus Christ. This great psalm is also a wonderful prayer. Have you ever prayed the psalms? My question is an obvious one. It's a rhetorical question. But I would encourage you to do so, to think that through and begin to ask the Lord to show you the Psalms. It was the Psalms that I was reading when I came to know the Lord. And I was a preacher's son, living a lifestyle I shouldn't. And I heard the best sermons. It wasn't a sermon that would get me, but it was the reading of the Bible, the book of Psalms. What a great place. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. And if you do not have a Bible guide, I would encourage you Turn to or go to uh, the, the address or go to the phone number and call us or write to us or go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the website there that the page where it talks about the Bible guide and it'll take you to a place where you can donate. Thank you so much for your donations. And it'll take you to a place where you can download it just exactly like it's printed. You're seconds away from being with us. Now, today, as we look at the persecuted church, Psalms 7, 1 through 8. We need to pray and ask the Lord to show us his way and teach us his path. Now, we've been praying that and doing that this whole year. And I want to encourage you that as we do that, God will move on our hearts. And Father, I pray today that you would do so. Help us to hear you and follow your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, the Psalms is amazing. As we introduce you to the prayers and introduce you to the music, listen carefully to the conversations. O Lord, my God, in you, I put my trust. Did you hear that? In you, I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. This is a prayer that God gives us. The Psalms teaches us to pray to God for his intervention and protection, for his intervention and protection. Complaining and whining are not unique. Praying the word of God is. When we pray the Bible, we pray the word of God, we use his words, and we communicate with the divine mind. Now, this is something that God has put in play for us. Think that through. And as we look at Psalm 7 and we hear the prayer, we need to understand that God is teaching us to pray. So let's go back. Look at 3 to 5. Oh, Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands... If I have repaid evil to him who has who was at peace with me or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. This is fascinating. Psalms, the Psalms teach us that we should be honest when we pray. 
God knows everything all the time. And when we identify with his word, the Lord listens. Beloved, I really want to say this. We often have words we write down and we want to pray this, but let's understand. God has already written words down for us to pray in the book of the Psalms. Very important. Let's pray the Psalms. Let's ask the Lord to show us his way and teach us his path through the book of Psalms. Those are his prayers. And the prayer for persecution in Psalm 7 is absolutely stunning. And let's continue to pray. Let's go on to Psalm 7, verses 6 and 8. It says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the people shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. This is amazing. Look at this. The Psalms teach us that when we call on God to judge, he does. We should be clean and open about ourselves when we pray to God for help. We should be clean and open ourselves when we pray to God for help. Now, this is important to understand. When we pray, God knows everything we need. God knows everything that we have needed. God knows our future. Yet God still tells us to pray. Ephesians 6 verse 18. God still tells us that's part of the armor of God to pray. He wants to hear our hearts. And so, beloved, it's not do we pray just to go through words. It's praying to activate our hearts, to get our hearts involved with him. And his Holy Spirit is inside of us. His Holy Spirit comes alive and his Holy Spirit works with us. And as we pray and we say, Father, you are our Father. Teach us, Lord, and help us. And Father, give us success in your calling, not in what we want to do, but in what you have called us to do. Your calling, Lord, that's what we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. When we pray that, we understand that God is going to move. The Lord answers prayer, especially the prayers that we pray from Psalms. So my encouragement to you on this day that we open up the book of Psalms and we begin to go through it, think about praying the Psalms, not just reading them, but praying them as you read them. That's very important and it's very good. And we're going to hit some Psalms in this book that are fascinating. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. All right, well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And since we're fresh out of the book of Job, and since I've been talking about dinosaurs in the book of Job, I thought that it would be great to talk about this subject some more. 
because a lot of Christians struggle with knowing where dinosaurs fit into the Bible. And to help us with this, I want to play you a short clip of a conversation I had with a very good friend of mine, Calvin Smith. And Cal is the executive director for Answers in Genesis Canada. And in this clip, I ask him specifically about dinosaurs and how they fit into scripture. Well said. I just want to switch gears a little bit here. Mm-hmm. I know one of your favorite subjects, topics, is dinosaurs. Yep. yep. Now, of course, dinosaurs are often considered the holy grail of evolution. Absolutely. So let me ask you, how do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? Right. Well, let me give you a practical uh, example of how I do that, because uh, the church that I go to in London, Ontario, uh, the Redemption Bible Chapel, we have GO teams, so uh, gospel outreach teams. And uh, they were actually initiated by my friend Corey McKenna from the Cross Current Ministry, which you know very well. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the last times I was out with GO teams, uh, there's me and three other people, and we come up, you know, we're passing out tracks, we share the gospel with people on, on, on a weekly basis. So we're going along, and we come across these two young fellows, um, well, I call them young, they're probably university students, waiting for their bus. We're like, great, they can't run away. <laughs> and uh, so the team leader started sharing the gospel with them. Now immediately, one of the reactions was the guy just turned away, he wasn't interested. But the other fellow, as he was hearing the gospel message, all the way through the gospel presentation, he was, he was like, he was like, you know, he's trying to get a word in edgewise. And, and, and the fellow kept going. And as soon as his mouth stopped moving, the guy backed up a couple of steps. And this is what he did. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you Christians believe about dinosaurs? First question. And so the leader looked at the fellow and he looked at me and he said, well, go talk to that guy because he knows what I do. And I said to them, I said, dinosaurs, I said, dinosaurs are great proof of the history of the Bible. What? He looks at me with his face. And I said, man, get out your smartphone. Why? I said, just get that. I said, type in Mary Schweitzer, soft tissue T-Rex. What? I said, just. So he does it. He's like, because these pictures come up. And they're pictures that were published in Science Magazine of what this paleontologist Mary Schweitzer found inside of a Tyrannosaur, supposedly 70 million years old, soft, stretchy, unfossilized, red blood vessels, red blood cells. I said, can you see that that could not have possibly lasted for 70 million years? There is no way God is going to allow you to use this as an excuse when you stand in front of him and you say, there was no evidence of you. The evidence of God's creation is everywhere, right? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Because of God's creation, you can know there is a creator. And so, you know, we had this great conversation and I've, I've told my church audiences about this time after time because think about it. <clears throat> Just prior to my interaction with him, this young man had heard the most, well, the most valuable, the most important message any human being can hear, which is the saving message of the gospel. And yet, all the way through the gospel presentation, he's kind of like, la, 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 la. So he can get to the end and tell the Christians, what do you believe about dinosaurs? Why did he do that? Because of the indoctrination system we have in our secular uh, media and school system. He was taught that dinosaurs died at 70, you know, 65 point whatever million years ago. Dinosaurs evolved into birds. That means evolution is a fact. That means creation is not true. That means the Bible is not true. Why are you guys telling me about some dead guy who came back to life to save me from my sin? See, there's a direct gospel connection, and most Christians don't even don't even get that. So, there are there's a, so much evidence showing that dinosaurs had lived just a little while ago. They actually interacted with human beings, which typically people are like, "What?" They, you know. But why are all these carvings, and why, why are all these depictions, and why are all the, these dragon legends from around the world? People groups from around the world claim that in the past they, their ancestors saw these huge reptilian beasts, 
and they're depicted in carvings and, and tapestries and, and all sorts of things. Um, you know, one of my favorite examples is the, the Stegosaurus carving in the, in the temple in Angkor, right in Cambodia, supposedly carved about 800 years ago. And I will, you know, put that up in my dinosaur presentation. I'll have young people, seven, eight years old. I'll say, anyone know what that one is? Hands go up. That's a Stegosaurus. I say, how do you know it's a Stegosaurus? Well, it's in my dinosaur book. It's in Jurassic Park. Okay, the point I'm making is why can a modern day seven-year-old point to that and say it's a stegosaurus? I mean, that's pretty specific. It's not just a generic dragon or a dinosaur or whatever. There's only, you know, plates on the back and, and all that stuff. Why, why does he know it's a stegosaurus? Because the way it's depicted in a modern book, they weren't doing dinosaur digs 800 years ago in Cambodia. Those people saw that thing and carved it into there because they saw... They weren't doing, you know, dino digs and stuff like that. That's the most logical explanation. And of course, Answers in Genesis, we have a ton of this type of stuff that we show. And I really encourage people to, to go to the website and look up, you know, just dinosaur soft tissue or, or dinosaur depictions or dragons or dinosaurs, these, these types of things to show that this is far from a, a slam bang proof for evolution. All right, well, if you want to see my full interview with Cal, as well as with some others like Bodie Hodge, Patricia Engler, Corey McKenna, and even molecular geneticist Dr. Georgia Purdom, are all available on a DVD set called A World by Design 2, the Niagara Conference. You can write or call in for it, and it's also available on BibleDiscoveryTV.com as a digital download, if that's the way you like to go. And I, I can tell you that on BibleDiscoveryTV.com, we have a lot of material there. And so that would be a great place to discover all of this as well. Hmm. Uh, very good. And I do recommend that you get the DVDs. They're good. Uh, okay. Corey. All right. Well, I want to focus on Psalm chapter 3 today and how it relates back to 2 Samuel chapter 16. So the, the, the superscript of Psalm 3, the title of it, says, A Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. So this represents the, the fallout from one of David's greatest sins, which was not dealing, uh, maybe I should say failures, one of David's greatest failures, which was not dealing with the sin of his son Amnon. Um, Amnon had raped Tamar. And it cost David, the, the consequences of that, of not dealing with that, had cost David his son Amnon and his son Absalom. It cost David great humiliation. It caused a civil war. And nearly, it nearly caused David the throne. But God redeemed David out of the situation. But we see Psalm 3 was written as David was forced to leave his throne, forced to leave Jerusalem, because Israel had backed his son Absalom, who had launched a coup against him. So let's read Psalm 3 quickly together. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts up my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down in sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. All right, so 
we can go back. We have the the advantage here of of the history record of the Bible. You know, when the Bible is recording David's reign, we can jump back to this very moment that David is recording this psalm, probably right after this happened in 2 Samuel 16, where David is going, walking out of Jerusalem in mourning and people who have a vendetta against David are coming out and cursing him. And one guy in particular, who's a relative of King Saul, who was the deposed king of Israel, God's original choice, who had failed and rejected God. And so God rejected him. He comes out and he curses David. And it says this, Shimei said, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. And it's interesting David's reaction to this. He accepts this. He knows that he is a guilty man. He knows that maybe not guilty of Saul's blood, but he is guilty of blood. He is guilty of wrongdoing. And, and his nephew, Abisha, comes to him and he says, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. And David says this, what does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is, curse, he, if he is cursing, because the Lord said to him, curse David. Who can ask, why do you do this? Uh, then David said to Abisha and all of, his, all of his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So really interesting where David is accepting this correction, this reproof uh, as being from God. And he's saying, maybe God, maybe God will help me. So I think Psalm 3 is really interesting mm -hmm. in that light, especially when David says he has no hope left, guys. He has no hope other than God. His entire nation has backed his son over him, except for his fighting men. And I think it's verse five is really interesting. He says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. So basically David says, I'm not dead yet. So there is still hope for me. God may yet forgive me. He may yet rescue me. God must still have a purpose for me. And in fact, he did. So just always amazing when there's a psalm that lines up with the history of the Bible. We can go back and check what's going on. The recognition of the need for staying repentant. Yes. The need for understanding that what happens to you, because this, this is, it cost him his two sons, yep. his daughter's virginity, and nearly his throne. Yep. And he didn't, because he didn't apply uh, the, the law of God in this case, it was really difficult. And in these moments where he's being cursed publicly, yeah. he could have had that easily, that, very yeah. easily, that man's life would have be snuffed out and nobody would have even mm -hmm. come against King David for doing that. Mm -hmm. I think. And, and yet he chose. Yeah. What we have to, to say. He chose to let God decide. Mm -hmm. That's he not he easy, put himself at the mm -hmm. mercy of God and he told God what he wanted. He wanted to be delivered. He wanted the teeth of the enemy to be broken, meaning those teeth that they're trying to devour me with, take them away. But take if, away their ability to devour what if me. The, and, and the idea is, what if some of the teeth to be broken were his? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. the question. 
Repentance is key. And I believe right now in the country of the United States of America, in the country of Canada, in the world, I, I, right now, God is looking for people to repent. Mm. And it's time for us not to blame political parties, not to blame different ideas, different. We got to come back. Yeah. We have to repent. Mm. It is time for us to repent. And Lord Jesus, forgive us of our sin. We have failed. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, help us. We have to repent. That's very good. And we need to keep that in mind and stop projecting our ideas and everybody else. And that's what brings healing to our land, doesn't it? It does. Mm-hmm. When we can't look at other people, we have to take it personally. Mm-hmm. It's a Absolutely. personal decision. And, and so that's on us. Yeah. It's on each one of us. All right. All right. You know what else is on each one of us? The Bible IQ question not or the Bible question? question. Not, <laughs> not the Bible IQ question. Bible. Well, it's still kind of, it could be. Okay. All right. Okay. Ryan, we <laughs> wake again yes. because the Lord sustains us. Hopefully we, can, hopefully we nice. can do this. Well, there you go. All right. Well, everybody listening, we've got one minute, 20 seconds left. <laughs> Which of the three friends of Job did God speak to? To let the three of them know that they had not spoken of God rightly, as Job had. He spoke to one of them first. Was it Eliphaz, Bildad, or Zophar? Eliphaz, Bildad, or Zophar? Who did God speak to first? And they were supposed to bring an, an offering. I know who this is. offering to Job. Yep. And then Job was going to pray for them, and they would be pardoned. I know this 45 is not seconds. an okay. easy question. Yeah. We, this is not. We actually don't know for sure. We're not 100% um, sure. It's okay. We have an idea. Yeah, right. we do. Mm-hmm. Um, Eliphaz. We're going to go with the guess. We're hoping. We're, We're hoping that it's Eliphaz. All right. Well, hold on, everyone. Hold on. I'm going to read Job 42, verse 7, and there's going to be a lot of more easy breathing around the table. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, you guys, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right that was as a good, my servant that was Job has. A good Very good. Decision. Yeah. Very well, good. He was the first guy. Hoping you did well too at home. <laughs> Eliphaz. Remember that if you have a phone, which most people do today, that you can get a phone app called Bible Discovery TV. And when you get that phone app, it brings you the programs, this program, some of you are watching this program on the phone, for iPhone, for Android, for whatever phone. Go to your store and ask for the phone app, it's free. We want to encourage you to get a hold of the programs. Now, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Psalms. Help me to learn to pray and praise your name with the Psalms, in Jesus' name.